You're listening to Socialist News and Views with your host, Nick Schillingford. I'm Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis with our 50th regular episode for August 2023. In the second portion of the show, we have a discussion about community and family, but we start with the news. We have one news story today of utmost importance, and that is the absolutely devastating fires on the Hawaiian island of Maui, specifically in Lahaina. CBS News said this of the fire, quote, experts say climate change is increasing the likelihood of these flash droughts, as well as other extreme weather events, like what's playing out on the island of Maui, where scores of people have been killed and a historic town devastated, end quote. And for direct comment on the situation, we go to a clip of a TikTok post from a resident of the island, Allison Medina, from her A111SEN TikTok channel, this audio does have explicit descriptions of the devastation. If you don't know what's going on in Maui, we are just being completely devastated right now. The last four days, I've been not in stop, just working around the clock, trying to get supplies for people, trying to get the supplies to the people working at the shelters. It's just, I'm safe and my family is safe and my dogs are safe. Last night, they said the death toll is 80. That's, it's not, it's not correct. They're not reporting it correctly. I don't know why they're not reporting it correctly. There's hundreds, if like at least 600, if not thousands of people who are dead in the streets, in floating in the ocean. There's over 3,000 homes that have been burned to the ground. There's no help here on the ground. All it is is residents pulling together. My whole entire truck is full of supplies right now. Just residents going to the store, going to Walmart, going to Costco, buying as much as they can, driving it straight into Lahaina. I went there last night and there was a fire that started and we got so scared we weren't able to drop off all the supplies. But there was flames that we saw and we were like, we just have to get out of here. It's just, it's so awful. In the full video, Allison also contrasts the money sent to Ukraine recently to the much lower amount sent to Hawaii by the U.S. federal government. She called on people to write their legislators and the president and donate anything they can to verified fundraisers for this absolute catastrophe. Sabby Sabs on her YouTube said this event reminded her very much of the situation after Hurricane Katrina. Remember, on January 17, 1893, the kingdom of Hawaii was overthrown by the U.S. government. Take a look at that history. And now we go to a poem from the Diary of Frida Kahlo, read by Rick Majumdar. First, I am convinced of my disagreement 
with the counter-revolution, imperialism, fascism, religions, stupidity, capitalism, and the whole gamut of bourgeois tricks. I wish to cooperate with the revolution in transforming the world into a classless one so that we can attain a better rhythm for the oppressed classes. Second, a timely moment to clarify who are the allies of the revolution. Read Lenin, Stalin. Learn that I am nothing but a small damned part of a revolutionary movement. Always revolutionary, never dead, never useless. That poem was written between 1950 and 1951 when Kahlo was in her early 40s. She died at 47. And now we go to a discussion I had with Mary Benrud Gachi and two of her children, Cameron Phillips and Grace Wanza, where we talk about the meaning of family and community. We conducted the discussion at their home in St. Paul. A portion of our chat has been edited for length. A section cut dealing with Minneapolis policing in the 90s will be shared on a future podcast. Here it is. At Social Studies and Views, we let folks introduce themselves. If you want to just tell us who we're talking with today. Okay. Um, my name is Mary Benrugachi. Um, you know, I'm a mom and I'm an abolitionist and I am an anti-capitalist and I really care about disassembling hierarchies and power structures that limit people's opportunities and also creating loving, caring connections that make change and address kind of the current state of alienation that people find themselves in. You know, and, and I'm a mother of, you know, eight kids. It's all good stuff. Can you compete with that one? Yeah, no, quite the intro. Uh, my name is uh, Cameron Phillips, um, and I am a uh, son of my family. Um, Grace Monza, and I'm the daughter of Mary Benrugashi, and the sister of Karen Phillips. Thank you, guys. Uh, yeah, we. I mean, we've been talking a little bit before this point, but um, I think... Uh, you know, one point that I wanted to discuss was just, you know, like family and community, how they're related, how they're similar. But I wanted to just start out by, you guys talked about this a little bit, just talking about how your family is similar or different from other families. I don't know if Mary, if you want to start. Um, like family in this place and time is kind of like a, a loaded buzzword and depending on who you're talking to we're not speaking the same language about what family is um you know family for me is the people that I have a particular responsibility to the people that I have birthed liberally into this world and beyond that people that I have intersected with that I care for and that I that I maintain a long-term supportive connection to and um, 
to me, you know, everything starts from that place of, uh, you know, the circle of caring. And I came into my own sense of family and being a mother at 17. So I came into uh, taking care of someone besides myself before I was even an adult. And it has been embedded into my politics and into my relationships since that point in time. Um, well, on like a more, um, you know, technical basis, you know, we, we, uh, we're a family, we have eight kids, right? The oldest right now is like 43, oh, 44, and the youngest goal is, is 18. So we have, um, there's six dads, you know, six dads, um, you know, among us. Um, we're split racially, so the first four are white and the last four are mixed. Um, we've grown up between the, the early ones in um, Minneapolis, the younger ones mostly in uh, suburban Kansas. And um, yeah, one sometime in uh, you know rural Minnesota. Um, yeah, so from like a very you know that's how it's it's structured in that way. Um, yeah. Well, and I I mean something that's important to me talking about family from my perspective that I think is unique is that um, sort of you know, the mores of the time that I came into motherhood were, it was a disgrace to be a single mother and to be unmarried. And so I was kind of like put out on my own um, a little bit before I turned 18. And I made a decision that I should be able to participate in things that were important to me and those systems of support didn't exist. And my best way to do that was to find other parents and to collectively try to make change. So I um, started out on my own going to UMD. I had a scholarship. Um, and there weren't uh, very many other single parents there, and there definitely was no peers my age there, and there also was no on-campus childcare. So a group of people, most of them, you know, were in graduate school, and myself, we created a childcare cooperative, and we took over the student lounge. And then we advocated for our behalf. So a situation where none of us had childcare, we started out by exchanging, you know, depending on our class schedule, taking care of all the kids and holding space in a community space there. And eventually it created momentum there that turned into us having an own, our, our own room. And it was the beginning of childcare on campus. And I, I found in the organizations I was in and the places I went to that a collective struggle was the best way and the most supportive way to create the opportunity for me to participate being a mother. And so, you know, that kind of began that where I held on to that 
strategy and the um, relationships that it created and have taken that with me to this point. And in all of the environments I was in, I believe that I had a right to participate even if I was a poor single mother and had the responsibility of a child and I would work to advocate that we could be included in the circles that I participated in. And that began my uh, experience of creating community and extended family and seeing the how potent collective action could be. And it was empowering too for me personally. So. And then you guys talked a little bit before about, um, yeah, you said this extended family, you know, bringing in other people that were trying to work on themselves or trying to, you know, reach some goal or friends and connections. And then you talked about living in, you know, suburban Kansas and then also living in Minneapolis, which is a city. And then I know over here there was some discussion about, like, how different communities were different, like how they connected to the family different or connected to each other differently, like some were more connected than others. Um, do you all want to just talk, like, kind of comparing, like, the city, Minneapolis, to, like, Kansas? Like, what are the, you know, what were the differences in what you encountered, like, as your family was able to connect with a community um, or neighbors, et cetera. Well, you know, you know, again, like my mom has had kids for a very long time. Right. So there's a, there's a lot of history that I was not a part of. Right. right? So, so, right. There's, so there's, there's very, um, you know, I can speak on the, the Kansas part of things, but I'm yeah. always, but it, you know, even our setup that we got in Kansas is definitely deeply related to the, the things that were able to happen in Minnesota. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it's almost like she honed her skills over there and then took them um, to the burbs. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So so I guess you you should you should speak to about the the, the precursor to it to how it existed in Kansas. I um well there's a lot there's a lot of things to that. I mean one of the pieces to all of this is that I believe that everything's better when it's shared, right? And I never, I mean, you're the one who looked at my social security uh, history. I've never made more than 17K a year since I was, started my work life at 14. So, you know, Money has not been my primary resource. It has been relationships. It's been, um, you know, connections and uh, the ability to create opportunities that were not based on money. So I have a long time anti-capitalist perspective on things. And that also is embedded in this. It, it's really lovely to create the opportunities and to have kind of um, alternative ways of creating family and um, and sustaining each other. But 
The other thing that's a reality, and this is like taking it off point a little bit, is that if you are a multiracial family, if you are a poor family, you also are dealing with the assault of the system ongoing. Well, you should talk about, you know, talk about the house in South Minneapolis a little bit, about how that point, talk about some of your relationships with, you know, the people around there and the kids and the, you know what I mean? In, like, in South Minneapolis? Yeah. You had your house and your space or whatever. Well, it was like a whole different period of time. There were, you know, in the 80s in Minneapolis, uh, South Minneapolis was like a solid community and there was a lot of single moms and there was a lot of exchange of childcare and there was a lot of like minimalist living. I mean, if you had a space to live and you had relationships and enough food and, you know, nature to hang out with, I mean, even the whole crew of people I was around, we had our babies born at home. You know, it, you know, we were all vegetarians. We were so that was like the eighties from my perspective. It was a lot of like shared understanding and a lot of non-materialistic um, shared goals for like community and care. And there was a lot of focus on. You know, it was like the era of like potlucks and, you know, stuff like that. You all want to talk a little bit about just like y'all's experiences in living in some of these places. I think there was specifically some discussion about when the kids are like the same ages, how like the families kind of like connect a little more uh, because the kids are like always together. So it just kind of like, you know, it kind of like organically like draws the families together. What's that? You got any experience or stories there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, again, being a, a group of people who have relied very heavily on relationships, right? So it's like every relationship is valuable, right? Yeah. Every relationship is cared about. Every relationship is yeah. nurtured, right? So yeah. even just, Everyone. you know, going over to somebody's house or having somebody come over, it's like, oh, have your parents come over and say hi. And then, you know, we could, you know, and there, there's never rules at our house. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, you can stay up late and go over there anytime. And they can come over anytime. They can share whatever. They can eat whatever at our house. And we can, you know, it just, it, it comes together. And it happens with all types of relationships. Like, even the people who, again, we would end up stay, staying with or would end up staying with us would be people from our history. We wouldn't let go. You know, the relationships were always maintained. The love was always still there. You know what I mean? Like, we had... This dude Dorian stayed at our house for a little while, right? And he was just one of my sister's friends from down the way, right? And then a couple, you know, five years after that that period of time, he came back and would stay with us. And, you know, we'd be friends. We'd be friendly. We'd make things work. You know what I'm saying? So it just, it, it was always a part of it. And kids help, right? Because kids don't care. Like, kids will just say hi. Hey, what's up? You know, whatever. It's like a good introducing, you know, a good opener. Right, to kind of bring everybody else in, right, to, to have that connection. So, um, yeah, there's lots of, all the people we know were people that have other people of us have known. You know what I mean? We're brought into the family. Always, always, always. Um, yeah, I think that, that it was just, uh, again, it, it's all, the only way I can really describe it is it was natural. 
It's all incredibly natural. Like, as long as you don't have too many hang-ups, you don't have too many preconceived notions, you don't have too many, you're not worried about too much, it, it wouldn't come together. But judgmentalism, do you think that's like part of it? Do you think like sometimes some like uh, activist groups, for example, are like kind of judgmental of people a little bit? Yeah, I, I think definitely. so. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, that whole, you know, having people have to say the right things or believe the right things or even, you know, there's that, there's no space for that. You know what I mean? Now, you can't be hung up on, on what people are thinking and what people are doing. You gotta live and work with each other. You know what I mean? You can't you can't throw anybody away. You know what I mean? You can't shun anyone because we all gotta live and work together, right? So we can all function. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So that those concepts of there's no reason to be judgmental, right? Because you're helping me out, I'm helping you out. And even if I'm helping you out, somebody else will help me out, right? It's like a system that works out, you know, so everything's fair, it all equalizes. Well, and here's the thing, like, even for Dorian, for instance, like, one, at one point in time, he proposed my sister. That didn't work out. He later was, had schizophrenia, right? And called the bomb threat on my sister's apartment building. We still didn't throw him out. We still were cool with him. He still came around, and that's just... This is one of our people. You know what I mean? Sure, you can get a little funny, but that's just part of life. You know what I mean? You can't be one of our people. That's just how it goes. You know what I mean? You gotta work with them. You gotta work with what you got. You know what I mean? And then other people work with you. So what you got? You know? Got any thoughts, experiences? We're a very unjudgmental, open family. We're very open to different situations. We've seen a lot of different situations. We're not, like, I don't know. We're not scared of anybody or surprised if if something happens. And I think, like, speaking on, like, the difference between Kansas and Minnesota, I think me and Cam can relate the most on schools. I feel like, in Kansas, it was just, it was like predominantly white. But one thing that they were really good at is, was like education. Like, I think they were pretty good with, you know, teaching us. Uh, wasn't very many opportunities for like minorities though. And then coming to Minnesota, living here, it was a little bit of a, cultural shock because I don't know I I didn't I like grew up, like being in schools in Kansas I wasn't used to being around like inner city people and I feel like Minnesota provided us like Minnesota schools provided me with like different opportunities as far as like therapists or like um Career, what was the thing? Career field, vocational training. Yeah. So when you say inner city people, what was your what, what, what was the biggest difference there? How was it different than their experience in Kansas? I don't know. People have like real struggles here, mm. and you, you don't talk about that in Kansas. I feel like I don't know. Yeah. People are more similar in Kansas. In Minnesota, like, they all have their own backgrounds, their own, like, 
things going on at home. And just, I don't know, it's more diverse here. In a lot of ways. You know what I'm saying? The diversity of cultures, diversity of, like, again, like, in Kansas it was weird because if somebody lived in an apartment, you wouldn't talk about it. You know what I mean? It was like, that was like, you're living in the slums. You know what I mean? Like, the, it's just the, and again, it goes back to that whole, like, the, there was a lot more, it was a lot fluffier in Kansas, right? The issues didn't go quite as deep. They were kind of, they hit us, the ceiling was very different in the two places. You know what I mean? But, um, but even though we still, we flow with them equally well, whether it's Kansas or here, we, you know, make do and make things work. You know, I think some, uh, sociologists, philosophers have said that the nuclear family is like a very conservative institution, that it's like one of the most conservative institutions. Do you think there's any truth to that? And do you think like, you know, it's something y'all saw in any ways in your family? Or do you think that you kind of turned that kind of idea of the nuclear family upside down in some ways? Or we never, I mean, I guess we, there were times where it was like, could look at it like a nuclear family, right? Like there was times when, but but always there was more siblings, and always there was complicated relationships with like, you know, a nuclear family doesn't really include a setup for like, you know, the relationship between, you know, two siblings with different dads. And what is my relationship to the different dad? You know what I'm saying? Like that, right. and that's just from the jump. So I think that really, like again, with I think how I interpret it, right, with my mom having a kid very young and then being kind of ostracized from her family, you just start doing whatever you want or whatever feels right. You know what I mean? So there's not any, none of those cultural assumptions are, were passed down at all. You know what I mean? Like, none of them. Like, there was no, like, when I grew up, it was, there was no structures. You know what I mean? There wasn't, there wasn't roles. There wasn't gender roles. It was just, it was literally a non-structured system. The family structure was not structured. It didn't, those rules didn't apply. You know what I mean? Those rules weren't even thought about or conceptualized. You know what I'm saying? It was just, it would truly just happen how it happened organically. You know what I'm saying? And I think that, you know, in a lot of ways you see people, you know, I think that the nuclear family is very conservative. There's, there's a lot of expectations for you do this role, you do that role. And when somebody fails the role, there's all these, you know, people are hurt, people are disappointed, you know, and those kind of things. But in a situation where there's no roles, you can't fail at a role. You know what I mean? You're just doing you in the best way that you can. I mean, and, and of course, there were certain expectations of like, you know, you got to take care of each other and you got to be nice and, and that kind of thing. But there wasn't, you know, it wasn't split up like that. And you, you see it with fans all over, especially like in Kansas, it's really hard for people when they fail, you know what I mean, or they don't live up to expectation, it really hurts them, you know, for white people especially, when they don't rise up to this image that they feel like they're supposed to reach, there's a lot of personal strife, you know what I mean, and it's a strife that we are almost entirely immune to, because we don't fit in those, in those kind of roles. Right, uh, and everyone, this is the amazing thing about my kids. It's like everyone recognized that we have an equitable investment in our mutual survival. And so I didn't have to, I don't believe in punishments. I don't really believe in rewards. I believe in like a recognition that we're invested because this is what's required of us to take care of each other. 
So I didn't play out punishments. I wouldn't participate or sign off in punishments in school systems. And also, I didn't do rewards. It was about uh, internalized understanding that our well-being was connected to each other. And even when I was about to change hours or take more shifts, I would bring it to my young children and we would vote on it. Do you want some more resources? Or do you want mom to be around more? And they would be like, mom around more. And we'd be like, okay. But we all usually understood that like basic level, like everybody needs like a roof over their head, food, like to be cared about and like supported. So like anytime we had friends or like a boyfriend or a girlfriend who just like was struggling, got kicked out, going through something, we housed them. We let them stay here, get on their feet. Just yeah, live live with us. Well, I really appreciate it. I, I think if more people were, you know, taking on some of these ideas, uh, that could be better. And I think that we, uh, you know, I think, I think, uh, again, like we should, we should really kind of expand our view of family, I guess, maybe is kind of where it gets, gets us here that we should see like potentially a lot more people as family and be, like you said, like less judgmental and more cooperative minded. I think it's, I think it's all good. And I hope that people, I think possibly people are going in that direction and I hope they are. So I really appreciate y'all speaking with me. Thank you. You're great. And that's our episode. Thanks for listening. Solidarity. This has been another edition of Socialist News and Views with your host, Nick Schillingford.